The scripture this morning will be from the 6th chapter of John, beginning with verse 5 through verse 9. Jesus therefore lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? G- uh, I'll re- start read verse 10 for you. <laughs> preached from this passage before, but normally when I consider this passage, uh, I'm looking more at what Jesus has done, and uh, perhaps we look at the uh, lack of faith on the part of the apostles. But this morning, I want us to look at it in a little different light. I want us to focus on the possession the little boy had, not just his, this is a I normally don't preach very many topical sermons, but this is really a topical sermon this morning. I want to us to think about the possessions that we have and how we can go about using those possessions to do the things that God wants us to do. I think as we make our way in this world, God expects us to use the abilities that we have in a way that would bring honor and glory to Him. And I think He wants us to take advantage of that. I don't believe He wants us to to have a uh, an ability or a possession and for us just to simply let it sit idle. I don't think God wants that at all. And I think often we overlook our abilities. I think we look at ourselves and, and we say, well, I, I'm not very special. Uh, there are people with greater ability than I am. I mean, I think we could probably all say that to some extent. Uh, you know, uh, certainly about having ability. I look around, there are a whole lot of people in the world that have greater ability, but maybe they're not using those abilities. Maybe they're not doing the things that they could possibly be doing with those abilities. And they don't even sometimes maybe realize they have those possessions. One theologian by the name of John Dunn, he told a story about uh, some Spanish explorers. They were going to the New World and they found themselves in South America. Well, in the process of of crossing the ocean, uh, they ran out of water. And as they were uh, coming into South America, they didn't realize where they were. and, And so some of them died from thirst. Do you know where they were? They were in the Amazon River. The Amazon River at its mouth is more than 200 miles wide. And the fresh water that it pushes out into the ocean can be gathered as much as 200 miles into the ocean. So here they are, they're traveling across the the ocean. They know that they can't drink ocean water because it will kill them. And then they find themselves in the at the mouth of the Amazon River, at least within that 200 miles to the mouth of it, 
But it is so big, they can't recognize it as a river. And so they, they died from thirst. They didn't even realize what they had. They possessed 20% of the earth's uh, uh, fresh water. The Amazon River has that. And it pushes it out into the ocean. Do you think they thought much about water when they left Spain? When they had plenty of water? They probably didn't think much about water. Very seldom do I think about water. I just go in and grab a glass of water or grab a water bottle or something. I don't think anything about it. Go for a few hours without a drink of water and then you begin to think about it a little more, don't you? You begin to think, boy, I wish I had a drink of water. And then the more you go without it, the thirstier you get, you get, your mouth becomes dry. And then I imagine after a day or two, that's all you're thinking about is a drink of water. And they had that possession, but they didn't even realize it. And so it went without being used. Often, when we look at something that we have, it doesn't mean much to us, but it can be of great use. Now, when we look at this young lad and he has some fish and some barley loaves, what what difference did that make? Well, it would have made a big difference to that young lad had he eaten that, but in the hands of someone else, in the hands of God, it made a huge difference, didn't it? It made a huge difference. And I think that when we look at this, we can look at it spiritually as well when we consider what these Spanish explorers had. J. Hudson Taylor said, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Individually, And on our own, the the abilities that we have or the talents that we have or the possessions we have, they mean nothing really in the big scheme of things, but in the hands of God. And if we reckon that God is with us, we can use those abilities and those possessions and those things that we have, and we can do great things with those uh, possessions. Eleanor Smith said, It has long since come to my attention that people of accomplishment rarely sat back and let things happen to them. She said, they went out and happened to things. Notice some of the things God's people possessed who He made great. What did Noah possess? Tools and and material? He possessed tools and material. But in the hands of God, He saved the world. He saved the ability for people to, to come back to Him. What about Moses? Moses had an average shepherd's rod. And in his hand, and in the hand of God, he led a group of people out of Egypt, and he secured the lineage of Christ. What about David? David possessed a common sling and five stones. That's all he had, five smooth stones. And he only used one of them. You remember Tabitha? She had some cloth, she had some some thread, but she impacted the lives of all who were around her. The little boy in our passage, what did he have? He had some fish and he had some barley loaves. Do we read in the passage where anybody thought that was of any great use other than uh, the Lord Himself? Of course not. We have many things within our grasp. I believe that we often overlook. The title this morning of the sermon is, What Do We Possess? What Do We Possess? Well, we possess a lot of things when used properly 
And when we rely on God, and when we reckon God will be with us, when we use these things, we're going to be able to do great things. I want us to notice first, the thing that we all possess is time. We possess time. What can we do with time? You can't buy it. You can't sell it. But you can invest it, can't you? You can invest time. You can put it to use. Remember what Paul said, Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 16. He said, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What happens when we do not try to determine what the will of the Lord is? We're unwise. We're not using our time properly. He said, redeem the time. He's explaining to us, and He's guiding us on how to properly use our time. Now, when He talks about redeeming time, what He's saying is, He wants us to figuratively buy our time, or to rescue it from loss. That's what redeeming means. We've been redeemed by the Lord. We've been rescued from damnation. And that's what Paul wants us to do with our time. But how can we lose time? Have you ever lost time? Well, I've wasted a lot of time, right? That's the way we lose time. We misuse our time. We don't put forth our best effort. I've wasted a lot of time over the years. I need to redeem that time. I need to use that time. And God wants us to take advantage with the time with which He's blessed us. He didn't give it to us for just to sit around and do nothing with it, right? He gave us time. God cares about time. He wouldn't have created time if He didn't care about it. He doesn't want us wasting our time. He wants us to put good use, put our time to good use for the benefit of the church and for His glory. Paul told those at Rome, Romans 6, 16 through 18, He said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness, But God be thanked that ye were yourselves the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. That's redeeming your time. That's taking advantage of what God has blessed us with and doing those things. You know, we may not have a whole lot of material things in this life, but we've all got the same amount of time. We've got the same amount of time. Now, we may have to do different things with our time, right? Some people can't do some things other people do, whether physically or that's just not their role, right? But we still have the same amount of time. But here's a fundamental truth about time. We can't count on it. We cannot count on it. We can't say, well, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to put that off. You know, over over time, especially when I was in school, you know, boy, I did a whole lot of stuff tomorrow. Whole lot of stuff tomorrow. I loved tomorrow. But see, we can't count on tomorrow, can we? We can't wait to obey the gospel tomorrow. We can't wait to serve God tomorrow. We can't wait to be involved in the work of the church tomorrow. We're not blessed with the opportunity to say, I'll do it tomorrow. We have to do it today. The wise man said this, Proverbs 27 verse 1, He said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Wow. We don't know, do we? How many people have gone to to the doctor today, or yesterday, or ten years ago, and found out something was wrong? 
but you had all those plans, right? I was going to do this, I was going to do that. Now, Solomon doesn't intend for us to understand that planning for tomorrow is wrong. He intends for us to understand counting on tomorrow and not counting on God is wrong. We count on God and we prepare for tomorrow, but we live like today may be our last day. How do we properly invest the time we've been given? Maybe we follow the, the rule of the Macedonians. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, we're not going to read that, but Paul begins to uh, uh, encourage the Macedonians. He begins to brag on them. And do you know how he said they gave? He said they gave beyond what they could give. Now, if you mark in your Bible, look at verse 5. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. If you mark in your Bible, underline that. And write out to the side of that and say, a mental ascent is no more uh, applicable in service than it is in salvation. You first give yourself. You don't just acknowledge that God is God, that Christ is the Son of God, that He died and He He uh, uh, rose from the grave so we could be saved, and that's good enough. That's not good enough, is it? You first give yourself, and then you do the other things. We may think what we possess is not much, but in the hands of God, it can be great. We invest time, but we also use time in other ways. We influence people with our time, don't we? We're around people. Whether we realize it or not, we influence those around us. We can have a, either a positive or a negative influence on the world, right? Someone, uh, we tell someone we're a Christian, we're a member of the Lord's church, and then we behave at work around them like we shouldn't. And then they say, well, why do I want to be a part of that? I'm at least as good as you are, right? I'm at least as good as you are. Why would I want to place these restrictions upon myself? We are to, to live in such a way in this life that people outside the church will never have a legitimate reason to criticize us. Notice what Peter said. First Peter 3, beginning with verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So we can influence those around us, but you know we influence each other as well. We influence our brethren. When we look at what the writer of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, we're not going to read it. You're, you're familiar with it. We are given three things where we have a responsibility as far as Christians. We have a responsibility toward God. We have a responsibility toward ourselves. And we have a responsibility toward each other. He began, he began by saying, Draw near with a true heart. In faith to God. That's a responsibility we have toward God. We are responsible to draw near to Him, to find out what He has in store for us, to determine what He's left for us to know. His desire is that we should all come to repentance and be saved, right? Second Peter 3, 9. So that's the first responsibility. Then he said we have a responsibility to ourselves. Uh, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We have claimed and proclaimed that we are Christians. We are to live in the world like Christians ought to live in the world. 
Hold fast. Don't give up. Don't let go of it. When I look at that phrase, hold fast, I, I, I kind of think about a person who is thrown a, 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 a life uh, preserver and they grab onto that life preserver. Have you, do you remember before you could swim and you're out in the water and you're trying to learn how to swim and you go under and there's no way to get out and you, and you don't know what you're going to do and either you know someone grabs you by the hand or they reach something out to you? Do you just kind of grab that lightly? Hey, you're ten feet out of the water before they can peel you off of them, aren't you? Because you hold fast. See, that's what we're to do with our faith. Get that faith. Hold fast to what you profess and don't turn loose of it. Be faithful all the way to the end. And then, of course, he addressed our responsibility to each other. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. See, we have a responsibility to God, we have a responsibility to each other, and we have a responsibility to ourselves. What do we possess? We all possess time. We all possess talents. In some way, we all have talents. Talents come in a whole lot of forms. Capability is one form that they come in. Now, we have different capabilities, right? We can do certain things, or we can do this, or we can do that. But we can't all do the same things. Maybe some of us can do similar things, right? We have a few people here who can who can lead our worship in singing. We have a few people here who who can teach class or can do certain things. We have, you know, we just have an array of talent and capability. You know, Paul addressed that to the uh, to the Corinthians. Excuse me, First Corinthians twelve fourteen through twenty. He said, you know, what if the foot said, "Well, I'm not the ear." You know, what well, the ear said, well, I'm not the eye, I'm not part of the body. He said, if everybody was the same thing, what, what would happen to the body? You know, that's just not unnatural, isn't it? That's unnatural. You know, when, when our, our babies were born, Taylor came along, we got that ultrasound, you know, I thought her head was the size of a watermelon. I said, this ain't normal. Something's wrong here. You know, I called her watermelon head. I knew she was okay, but, but I thought, boy, I'll use this for later. This will be, this is golden. But you know, what if you were just a head? What if you were just an arm? See, that, that's exaggeration. That's hyperbole, right? That's being used to make a point. But, but what would happen to the body? There wouldn't be a body, would there? There wouldn't be a body. So we all have certain capability. Now we may not think that we possess an ability that's very good. But what, what, what did Noah do with, with some tools and some building material? Is he the only person in the antediluvian world that had tools and building material? No, but he's the only one along with seven members of his family that made it. Was, was David the only, only shepherd who had a sling? Every shepherd had a sling. Every shepherd knew how to use that sling to fight off lions and bears. Right? But in the hands of David, who reckoned God was with him, it was something that was great. So we have capability, but within our talent, let's not forget our capital, right? Money. We all have money to some extent. A, a, a brother asked me one time when I was up at Wheeler Hill in Pikeville, he said, well, how do I know that I'm prospering? You know, we were talking about you give as you've been prospered. Well, how do I know I'm, I'm prospering? I said, are you alive in this world? Did you drive here? Do you have clothes on? Did you eat supper last night and breakfast this morning? Are you able to run around and, 
And, you know, he and I would go places every once in a while. I'd, I'd help him out a little bit. And I said, what do you mean, how do you know if you've prospered? You know, don't be looking for an excuse to shortchange God. There are enough of them out there, right? We've all, we all prosper. The widow prospered. What'd she give? She had two mites. She gave everything she had. She's one of the poorest people we read about in the Bible. But she prospered in some way. So we, we need to look at our giving as what it is. An act of worship, right? <clears throat> the White Oak congregation does a great job in their giving. But, you know, there's a problem, the church universal, with that. A whole lot of money in the, uh, in the church, but it's not making its way into the treasury. I spoke with, with Brother Barry Hatcher and we support him a little bit over in the work in Indonesia. And he told me, he said, well, I'm going to a little congregation of about 30 people, but they're all millionaires. I said, wow, wonderful. You know, maybe they can, can help you out a little bit. They're moving that school, you know. And, and so I talked to him the other day. I said, well, how did it go? He said, well, I hadn't heard from them. I hadn't heard from them. That doesn't mean they won't help. It doesn't mean they even have to help, right? But they need to be doing something with their, with their capital, right? We don't need to sit on it and, and uh, uh, just let it wait. You know, do we need to spend every dime we've got just any time something comes up? Well, no. You know, there's a certain amount of money we're going to keep in our treasury because we need to do that. And then there's a certain amount of money above that that we're going to use, right? We're not going to sit on it and do nothing with it. I wouldn't want to be sitting on a million dollars when God came back, would you? What'd you do with your capital? Well, I, I, I you know, I was waiting for an emergency to happen. I heard one brother say one time he had mentioned to some elders about using some money and they had a had a pretty new roof on. He said, well, what happened if the roof leaks? He said, well, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and replace the roof right now and then use that money that's left over for God's work. Yeah. Should, should we not have a treasury, an emergency fund? Of course not. We need that. But we need to use our capital. What about this? What about this? When we give the way we ought to give, do you know what each of us are doing as far as the work of God goes? We're training preachers to fill pulpits in the United States. We're doing mission work in the South Pacific. Each of us are. We're doing mission work in Hungary. Each of us are. We're doing mission work in South Georgia. Each of us are. We're moving a school from southern Sumatra where uh, radical Islam is beginning to take over a little bit, up to the northern part of the country on the island of Monado. Each of us are doing that because we give as we've been, as we've been prospered. Now, we can't use that for a crutch. We can't say, well, all I'm going to do is give, but I can't. Remember what the Macedonians did, right? They gave themselves first. So a mental ascent is no better in service than it is salvation. We have to keep that in mind. But each of us do that as we work. If we give in the proper way, you know what happens to us? We become fellow helpers to the truth, 3 John 8. We become laborers together with others, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. On the last day, when we stand before God, what if He asks us, what would you, you do with your talents? What would you do with your capability? What would you do with your capital? And we say, well, I just waited for an emergency to happen. Emergency happens all the time. We're, we're living in an emergency, aren't we? The world's dying and losing their souls. 
We have time. We have talent. Here's our final point. That we all have timelessness. You understand what I'm saying? At all times, we are just a moment away from eternity. At all times. We don't know what might happen. We have no idea. You know, I was just reading in the news the other day out in West Tennessee, there was this big mudslide and several houses just slid off into the Tennessee River. Now, thankfully, no one was home when it happened. What if it had happened at 2 in the morning? You know, not too awfully long ago, up on Signal Mountain Road, there was a subway up on the side of the mountain. It just slid off. What what if they'd been in there working? Well, they weren't, thankfully. But what if they had been? See, we're, we're, we're just a moment away at all times from eternity. And what do we want to do in eternity? We want to live in pleasure. We want to surround the throne. We want to offer worship to God day and night. That's what John talked about in the Revelation. And we understand that heaven is a place we want to be. We look at the at the descriptions of it, right? Revelation 21, 1 through 4. We read about the, the wonderful uh, things that we can identify heaven through, some of the worldly things. Of course, that's not the way it is, but that's the best way for us to understand it. John went on to say in Revelation 21, 21, he's talking about the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate was a pearl. The street through the middle of the city was of pure gold. It was so pure... It looked like glass. Now that's figurative, but I can I can identify with a street of gold. You gotta be kidding me. Gold is one of the most precious metals we have. And they're using it for asphalt up in heaven. That must be how good it is, right? So we, we want to be in pleasure. Heaven is a place where each of us ought to want to be and of which we long to be, right? But we have to be obedient. We have to, we have to use our time. We have to use our talents. And when we do that, when we put that together, you know, God gave us a mind so that we might reason together. And when we read the scripture, and we're talking, uh, on Sunday mornings in the Bible class about church history. Well, we were talking about Raccoon John Smith this morning and how he, uh, as he continued to preach his Calvinistic doctrine as a member of a denomination, And as he continued to study the Bible, he said, something's wrong. This is not lining up. See, he had a mind. He had a talent. God expected him to use that talent. He expected him to take the time to understand what the gospel plan of salvation is. You know, reading the gospel. Don't You know, the problem with the denominations of the world, they're taking some other man's word for it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen, not someone else. Faith that Jesus is who He said He was. John eight twenty four. Repentance of past sins. That's what Peter told those on the day of Pentecost. Acts two thirty eight. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip taught that to the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter eight, didn't he? And then of course immersion in water for the forgiveness of sin. You know what that does for us? And we talked about that this morning. It gives us a clear conscience. First Peter three twenty one. It washes our sins away, Acts twenty two sixteen. It puts us into the body of Christ, Galatians three twenty six and 27. It does all kinds of stuff for us, doesn't it? But see, God expects us to be able to do those things. And if we don't do those things, we're not going to be in heaven eternally in, in pleasure. We're going to be in, in hell eternally in punishment. That's not what God wants. You know, hell was never intended for people. 
Never. God didn't create hell so people could go there, but we can go there if we choose to. And when people stand in the, in front of the judgment seat on that last day, Matthew twenty five forty one, and they haven't done those things, Jesus will look down and say, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Never intended for us to be there. But we can. And we can go there, right? Because the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. As glorious as the description of heaven is, hell is just as terrifying. It's just as bad as heaven's description is good. Where the worm dieth not, where the fire is not quenched, Hell has everything we're afraid of. It's dark. It's lonely. You're thirsty. We talked about wanting to drink water. Eternity. Being thirsty. Can't quench your thirst. Sadness. Pain. Agony. And it never ends. It never ends. It's a place where the rich man lift up his eyes. Being in torments. There's no rest day or night. I can't can't help when I read that to, to think about... On one occasion after Nicole and I had gotten married, we'd made a trip up to visit her uncle up in New Jersey. We drove on up to uh, uh, Niagara Falls in, in, in New York in Canada. And, and on the way back, it was late, and uh, I got on Highway 127 somehow or another, and I never intended. We lived on Highway 127, but we got on it 200 miles before we needed to, and that's the crookedest road in the world. I was so sleepy, I couldn't stand it. And I never get sleepy when I'm driving. But all I wanted to do was just close my eyes for a moment and I couldn't do it because I was driving. That is misery. There's no rest in hell. You're not going to close your eyes for a moment. You might close your eyes in anguish, but you're not going to have any rest, right? Hell is a place filled with everything we don't want and everything we fear. Each of us will live in timelessness when this time is over. But we need to take our time and our talents and put that to good use so that when timelessness comes, we can be in heaven in pleasure. What do we possess? What do we possess? We possess, all of us possess at least those three things, don't we? In some form. What do we possess? How are we going to use them? Well, let's use them to the glory of God. If you're not a member of the Lord's church, you can't bring glory to God. Come to Him. Obey the gospel the way we've talked about it. Maybe you've stepped outside the light as a Christian and and you're not using your talents or your time very well and you want to come back, come back to Him. Come back today. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with God. Let's, Let's come together. Let's work together. Let's grow the church and let's do what He's asked us to do. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.